And uh, let's just take a look at the first couple of verses that we just heard read, because there's something really, really powerful in there for me that talks about this way that Jesus lived, which I have handily highlighted in gold. This is a slightly different translation. This is my, uh, one of my go-tos. It's the Amplified Bible, and it slightly expands on some of the words just to convey a little bit more of what they were saying to us um, in English. And it says this, it says, Now the tax collectors and notorious and especially wicked sinners were all coming near to Jesus to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes kept muttering and indignantly complaining, saying, This man accepts and receives and welcomes preeminently wicked sinners, and he even eats with them. And um, I just think this is the most, it's the most beautiful verse. It's really, it's really, really powerful. The, the most wicked people were the ones who were coming the closest to Jesus. Isn't that incredible? When um, we heard in the reading this morning that the law came through Moses, but grace came through the person of Jesus. And under the law, the Israelites, they stayed away from the lepers and the unclean people. But in the person of Jesus, we see that the people who are perceived to be the worst, the most wicked, they were the ones who felt safest and closest to him. And there's something about the way that Jesus lived that caused this to happen time and time and time again. And um, I think he gives us a little bit of a clue in the rest of this passage as to what some of those things were and how um, that worked exactly. So we will. We'll just, uh, we'll just take a little bit of a look at perhaps how he lived and some of those distinguishing features. And he said, he basically, Jesus starts saying, he says two parables to actually explain to the rabbis and the scribes and the Jewish leaders at the time who were so offended at the fact that Jesus, all these people who weren't good enough were suddenly starting to come and gravitate close towards Jesus. And he says these two parables um, before one of the most famous parables, the parable of what we sometimes call the prodigal son, or what is sometimes now referred to as the prodigal father, or the tale of the two sons. And I, what I want us to do is just see, there's two quite clear patterns, I think, that happen in the two stories we've just heard. So this is the first one, and then we'll see the second one in a second. And again, I've just highlighted in gold and in green the things that, um, for me, Jesus, there's a, so much in this, but this is just what I really wanted to draw out this morning. So Jesus says, he told them this parable, what man of you, if he has a hundred sheep and should lose one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness, in the desert, and go after the one that's lost? And when he's found it, he lays it on his own shoulders, rejoicing. And when he gets home, he summons together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, because I found my sheep, which was lost. Okay, and then the second one, really similar story if we just move on to the next passage okay so do you see do you see the two threads or what woman having ten silver drachmas each one equal to a day's wages if she loses one coin does not light a lamp and sweep the house and look carefully and diligently until she finds it and when she's found it she summons her women friends and neighbors saying rejoice with me for I have found the silver coin which I'd lost and the two things that I see as the patterns in these two little parables is that there is a process of actually leaving something, leaving almost 
the things that we're comfortable with, what we know. In the first case, it's the sheep, the 99 sheep get left to find that one. In the second one, it's actually going out around the house to look for this one coin, even though there's already nine. And it's that sense of really personal worth that God sees in every single person. And the second thing that I just think is really fascinating is the mentioning of joy. Like, this is supposed to be our source of great joy, is seeing the people who are far off transformed, seeing them come to know God. That is the thing that gives us the most incredible joy. And I guess what I see is that Jesus built his whole world around welcoming those who were the furthest off. Every single thing he did was to create something to welcome the people who actually didn't feel welcome. And that, for me, has huge implications to us today. When we look at how we do church, when we look at how we do life, what does it look like for us not just to maintain the Christian status quo and have the people who already know that they're saved and safe and with God, but what does it look like for us to build something that actually is causing those who are furthest away to come close and to listen in and to hear what we have to say? Because that's, I think, what's, what it looks like for us to recreate the culture of Jesus. And um, we see this time and time again. So I think, okay, this is Mr. Zacchaeus. If we had time, we'd play Jump for My Love. Uh, sadly, we don't. It's a bit of a tune. Um, it's all right, we're not going to. But like Zacchaeus, again, same story. He's like, he's like the most despised person. He's the most hated. And he, he jumps down from the tree to meet Jesus. And I guess we could draw up story after story after story. There's Mary breaking the alabaster jar over Jesus' feet. Again, it's, it's the most wicked people. They're the ones who are the closest. They're the ones who see time and time again the greatest intimacy and the most personal connection with Jesus. So that leaves me with, with two questions. And we're going to um, hear those articulated by one of my favorite uh, TV characters ever known. I think next... And why? Okay, let's hear that again. Ask yourself two questions. How and why? One more time. Ask yourself two questions. Two questions. How and why? So I just wanted to get that excerpt in because I find it really funny. But they are very good questions. How did Jesus do this time and time and time again? How did he make the people who were the furthest away feel the most welcome? And why did he live like that? They're really obvious things, but I think we actually find the answer in that first passage that we heard this morning. And it's this sentence, which again is really wonderful. It says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. And I think the order is really significant as well, because grace is what makes people feel so, so safe. Grace is it's the full provision of God to give us absolutely everything that we need. I think, um, have we got the passage up uh, next? Yeah, so if you just look at the bit in gold, it says, he was full of grace, favor and loving kindness. Grace is the thing that makes people feel welcome. It's the thing that makes them think, hey, <laughs> this person is actually someone who really, really cares for me. And it's in that context that truth is the most powerful because we might have all the truth in the world, but if people don't feel safe with us, if people don't feel like we're for them, then actually we can speak as much truth as they like, as we like, but they might just not hear it. And 
That is what I think we see in Jesus that is one of the most um, incredible things. And I'm just going to read a little something because I think uh, last week Julian was talking to us about leadership and he was talking about how we all lead. It was a wonderful, really like amazing message. And for me, there's something very profound in this today that, again, it shows us how we can lead and what it looks like, perhaps, for all of us to lead. Um, I'm just going to read a little bit from uh, an extract someone says in a book called Heavy Rain. It says, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Sometimes we can forget to care about the process because we believe that we have the purpose right. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. Sometimes we can forget to care about the process because we believe that we have the purpose right. And again, it's talking about culture and how profound and powerful not just what we say is, but the way that we make people feel, the things we do to welcome them. And um, I think it's one of the most amazing things about St. John's is how welcoming we are to people, just the fact that there is such a diverse group of people here who all feel so welcome. That, to me, says a lot about our culture, which I think is really quite special. But I guess the question today as well is, is what more can we do to bring some of these walls down that cause people to feel like they're still far off from God, from the place of his grace, which is often found in his people, in his church. So I just want us to think a little bit about how do we actually practically bring down some of the walls that can cause people to carry on feeling like they're far off, to stop them coming close to listen to what we have to say. And I'm afraid I'm going to show a video that I've actually shown before, but I don't, I don't think I've shown it in the morning service. So I hope, and if I have, I still think it's so powerful that we can gain a lot from watching it again. Um, we're not, if we could just pause it a second, sorry, that'd be great. Um, so this is a video called What is Poverty? And it asks the question of how poverty is created. And it talks a lot about the language of walls and how walls create poverty. But the thing I want us to think about when we see this this morning is not just the uh, financial aspect of policy, policy of poverty. What I'd love for us to really think about is more the relational aspect of poverty. How does relational poverty happen? Um, and I guess particularly, how do we stop that happening? So let's just have a look at this and, um, and see what it's got to say. I find that really powerful, really kind of makes you think, doesn't it? And um, I love that sentence, love knows no walls. And I guess my question for all of us this morning is what are the walls that we, we carry personally? Um, what are the walls? I believe God wants to, to just to break us free um, and to show us some of those walls that we can have with people in our own lives and the relationships that we have. And what does it look like for us to lose those, to lose those walls? Um, and I really think just this thing of encountering God's grace and encountering his truth, they are the things that cause those walls to come down. The more and more that we see a God who calls us really close to him, even in the places where we feel the least worth it, the places where we feel like we're lacking something. It's as we encounter his grace in those situations that his truth can hit our lives, which actually sets us free to then 
live our lives without the walls that reinforce those separations, which is, again, just what that, um, that video was saying. And um, I think just to, yeah, just to finish up, um, this is, for me, just the kind of sentence to really, to really sum things up. And I've just got a little um, excerpt from this book I want to read again. It says, Jesus' culture was all about creating something, not for those who already were, but for those who weren't yet. And I think that's really powerful. And I guess that for me is the question that everything that we are doing as we live our daily lives, but also as we live our lives together as a community, how do we build something not that's just comfortable for us? Because this is great. We've got it. We have a great time here. But how do we actually start to build something that's for the people who aren't here yet, for the people who would be the Zacchaeuses hidden up the tree. And really simply, I think there's a cost in that. It's not necessarily doing what we love most or the thing that's most convenient to us, but it's actively saying, how do we actually create something to cause the people who are the furthest away to feel the most welcome? And um, uh, this book that I was reading from earlier is called Heavy Rain. And um, there's a chapter in it that's actually, again, it's all about walls. It's called, uh, the chapter is titled... Mr. Gorbachev, bring that wall down. And again, it talks about um, how hidden culture transform pe- transforms people from the inside out. And um, I guess this is a commissioning for us this morning. And again, I think it really follows on from what Julian was saying last week about each of us being leaders in the designate- designated places that God has for us in our lives. He says this. Um, he says, it's time for the body of Christ to carry the kingdom into the darkest places of society. In the book of Daniel, we see how when God saw that he had four people who could not be polluted by the evil system around them, he kneaded them into the culture. Kneaded like dough, obviously. (laughs) Actually, it says that, sorry. He kneaded them into the culture like leaven into dough by disguising his four superheroes as magicians and conjurers. Today, we are his secret agents, disguised as doctors, housewives, mechanics, computer programmers, school teachers, and business managers. We are powerful believers concealed as everyday people, strategically assigned to serve society while simultaneously destroying the works of the devil. Our very lives are a sign and a wonder. Not only do we have the message, but we also are the message. We are the fruit of God's love, the manifestation of his person. And um, yeah, I think that is pretty wonderful. It's amazing that Jesus came to reveal the Father and now he leaves us to do the same. So I'm just going to pray for us um, that God would stir that in us and then we'll have a time of worship and response together. Jesus, thank you that you lived to reveal the Father but also to show us and empower us how to live ourselves. And Lord, we thank you that when we see, on, see you on earth, we see the most wicked people being the ones who came closest to you. And Lord, would we be able to say the same of ourselves in our own lives? Would we notice that the people who are the furthest off, the people who think they're the worst, think they're worth the least, think they behave the worst, think they're the least likely to come to church or to know God, Lord, would we see them starting to come close, starting to ask questions? starting to want to hear what we have to say because they see something.
And Lord, I thank you that, again, every single one of us has that same call on our lives, Lord. There's no hierarchy in your kingdom. You commission each of us to do that, wherever you've positioned us, whatever we're doing, whether it's at home with the family, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's at school, Lord. It's the same call on each of us. And Lord, would you right now just anoint us to do that? And would, Lord, you continue to fill us with your grace and your truth that we may be really, really good news uh, to the world around us.